Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back. We are here on We Got Balls and we're here for a very exciting and very titillating, you like that word, Scott? Titillating conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I try, I try. (laughs) And so we're we're going to be talking today about fantasy. And Scott, when I was young, I was a huge, huge fan of fantasy books. I read Lord of the Rings. I read Narnia. I read the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And I would just uh, I would just isolate myself and just be be totally alone with these worlds, these ideas of of different people going on grand adventures and experiencing such connection and fulfillment. And and just, you know, even empathizing with the struggles that they went through in all these processes. And I just fell in love. In fact, I fell so deeply in love with fantasy you know, in the literary sense that I wrote my senior high school research paper on a fantasy book. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm just a geek because I love fantasy. But there was a point in this where all my love for fantasy just wasn't enough. And I think probably around, you know, 14, 15, 16, my love for literary fantasy began to wane and my love for sexual fantasy began to rise up. And uh, it was all about the experiences that I could have with other girls and the things that I could imagine we would be doing and the connection that that would offer. Because in my life, I was l- desperately looking for anyone to connect with. Mm-hmm. Is that something that sounds familiar to you? Well, can you see what's behind me? I've got Spider-Man and Superman. And, uh, yes. So, you know, you've got me thinking about this because when I was growing up, so I remember my grandma gave me, I would, my grandma lived in Iowa and we lived in Denver, Colorado. And so we would drive mm-hmm. the, you know, long drive to see her. And one time on the way back, she gave me some comic books to read. I think I was maybe in third or fourth grade. And boom, I was hooked immediately on the superhero genre. And the the two areas where I was just fascinated as a kid were superheroes and monsters. Mm -hmm. So what do monsters and superheroes have in common? They're powerful. Yep. And I felt really powerless in my home at times Mm -hmm. in my relationship with my mom and dad. And so um, I remember, this may sound really freaky weird to you, but I remember when I was going into puberty, I would sometimes fantasize about becoming a werewolf and having uh, this power. And it was it was kind of sexually arousing, actually. And I there's nothing was, weird about that. I'm the guy that used to have dreams about naked Care Bears. So, well, that's you, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I was I was just kind of pondering this the other day as I was preparing for this episode, knowing we we're talking about fantasies is like. What was I looking for in uh, fantasizing about being aware? What was I saying about myself? And I think there was something about me that felt kind of uh, animalistic and out of control and raging. Mm. And and I could, I was afraid that I would do this, damn it. Because werewolves are always these really lovable guys that end up killing their friends. They eat their friends. Right, right, right. (laughs) And that's how I saw myself. Yeah. Is a really kind of... I'm a lovable guy, but 
man, there's a part of me that when it goes off, it becomes wild and dangerous to my friends. And that's really how I saw myself, even as a kid. Mm. And so it's interesting to think about the role that just normal kind of uh, imagination and fantasy, whether it's superheroes and monsters or whether it's Lord of the Rings or the, you know, the science fiction stuff that you were into as well, how that then morphs into our sex lives as we go into puberty and we start to, you know, for you and me, we kind of had, we kind of had to do fantasy the old fashioned way, which was to imagine it. Exactly. Exactly. Until, until the internet. Until the internet came along. And now, frankly, the younger generation, they're lazy fantasizers. I mean, (laughs) let's just call them out. Millennials and Gen Zs, you had it handed to you. You You, It was in your pocket from the time. So here we are. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn, dude. Get off my lawn. You have a lack of imagination. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say that my, as I began to, you know, embody the fantasies that I was, that were offered to me online, I became a lazy fantasizer too, is I just settled for what I could pull up. I mean, there, there was so much more elaborate creativity in my own process when I was younger that now, I mean, I'm in my forties. I don't have to, I don't have to work that hard. People are offering me ridiculous fantasies and I can either choose to, you know, consume them or not. So I think we're all in the same boat, whether we started different places or not. But the biggest thing for me with fantasy is the fact that I don't have to share it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a training together probably a couple years ago. And one of the pieces of that training was to write a fantasy story. And holy shit, Scott, I wrote that story and it scared the hell out of me because yeah. it was a real time if I was going to create a fantasy in the moment that would just sweep me off my feet and make me abandon everything, every part of my of my identity and my values and just pour headlong into an addictive process. That was the fantasy that I wrote. So, you know, this is something this is a process that we both use in our recovery process. Right. I'm when yeah. we're, we start to go into uh, arousal structures and what turns you on. One of the exercises we give guys is write out your three most arousing fantasies in detail, like their movie scripts. And dude, that's triggering. I got to tell you as a, as a guy helping other dudes, when I listen to that, sometimes it's triggering just to listen to it, let alone write it out. And it's embarrassing, you know, because you're revealing the inner secrets of your heart. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. things I think that's uh, really interesting about, fantasy, particularly in an internet world. And I want to refer to an experiment that was done in 1973. It'd be illegal today. It's really considered unethical. But the guys who wrote A Billion Wicked Thoughts, which is this fascinating book on what the internet tells us about sexual desire, talk about this experiment. And I'm just, I want to read read it so I get the details right, but it's really fascinating. So in 1973, a psychologist named Kenneth Gergen at Swarthmore College, um, conducted another social psychology experiment that would probably fail to get approved in today's ethics boards. And he asked, why do people under condition, what do people do under conditions of extreme anonymity? So what Mm. he did is he recruited five males and five female undergrads, and they went into this room and the, the room became completely dark. So you've got 10 strangers. They didn't know each other. And now sounds like a Netflix show already, dude. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure somebody's producing it all already. Yeah. So once they um, once they turned off the lights at at the end of the experiment, the subjects left the room one at a time. So they didn't they didn't know each other after the experiment. But what made the experiment so interesting is um, the room being pitch dark and the subjects mm -hmm. couldn't see one another. So they didn't know one another and they would not learn one another's identity after the experiment. In other words, they experienced complete and total anonymity, just yeah. like the Internet, just like exactly. you sitting down at your computer, firing yep. up the porn. Yep. So what did these anonymous strangers do? At first, they talked. The conversation soon slacked off. Then the touch began. Yes. Almost 90% of subjects touched someone else on purpose. Now, remember, these are complete strangers, and they're going up touching each other. Yeah. Um, more than half of the subjects hugged someone. A third of the subjects ended up kissing. One young man kissed five different girls. As I was sitting, Beth came up, and we started to play touchy face and touch body and started to neck. We expressed it as showing love to each other. We decided to pass our love on and share it with other people. So we split up and Lori took her place. Hidden by anonymity, the participants freely expressed their desires. One man even offered to pay Gergen to, <laughs> to go back into the room. Oh, almost 80% wow. of the men and women reported feeling sexual excitement. Yeah. Now, the internet does this experiment every day on a much, much larger scale, right? Exactly. And it's interesting what our internet searches about what turns us on under the cover of anonymity, where we can be completely free to express our desires, mm. really is all about. Because when prior to the internet, again, you're either using your imagination or if you're really bold, you're going to a dirty bookstore and buying books or magazines, or you're going to an X-rated theater and sitting there. So very few people did that before the internet. But now everybody's got that same experience available to them with a click of a mouse. And what is it revealing? So the interesting thing is that you would think that given the number of human beings in the world and the, the breadth of the internet and the idea that there's basically a porn for everything, that our sexual interests would be all over the place. And in fact, 35 categories comprise 90% of all sexual searches. Just so, 35. So let's just go back to what you were saying in that dark room, is when you turn off the lights and you limit the consequences, I mean, now that you're not, they're not seeing each other again after this experience, what ultimately I'm looking for in fantasy is a ideal human experience for me. Yeah. I, I want to be as intimate and as connected with another human being. I mean, you know, you, you, they're not judging the looks of these people in that dark room. They're just touching and kissing and becoming aroused and, and experimenting and, and finding um, excitement in the variability of the experience, which it sounds like to me, it's like, that that dark room in some sense is better than the internet because it's real people and yet we don't have dark rooms to go to and like you said it would probably be illegal to do that again today anyways well we do have dark rooms chris because our entire life is a dark room where we're groping to find our way that is literally oh. what our lives are like what so think a about it yes. think about it 
if you think about what really drives us as human beings, it's, it's I think, two fundamental things based on this idea of it's, it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. We're driven by a sense of social connection. I want to mm-hmm. connect with you. I want to mm-hmm. connect with others. I want them to connect with me. And I need comfort because my life is a dark room where I am just groping to find my way. I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know who's even in the room with me. Right. And that makes me afraid. Yes. Yes. And when I'm afraid, I need comfort and I need somebody else to touch me. Yes. So take that metaphor from this experiment and stick it in your bedroom late at night, which is when most guys are using porn in the dark Mm -hmm. with their pants pulled down, touching their penis while they're Mm -hmm. masturbating, looking at a scene on a video screen. Yep. It's no different. Yeah. And right. Why is that arousing? Because when I'm afraid and I feel alone and I don't know my way, when somebody reaches out and touches me, it makes me come alive. Mm-hmm. And there's no innuendo, uh, you know, in that at all. It, it, it literally is. Everything is connected to that human experience of I want to feel alive. I want to feel seen, known, loved. I want to feel soothed and safe. I want to feel like people are going to be with me no matter what. And what's in in our day and age, what's the only guaranteed way to approximate that experience? And that's virtual porn, virtual sexuality, virtual connection. And, you know, this goes back to the idea of attachment. Like yes. we haven't really talked about that much yet in the podcast, but fundamental to how we experience life as human beings is this idea that we're born into a family where a mother and a father are caregivers. And for mm-hmm. those first formative years of our life, probably the first five years of our life are the most formative. The first thing that happens to us is we're touched. We come out mm-hmm. of the womb and we're touched yep. and we hear sounds and we yep. smell. Th- and so our sensory life begins to fire on all cylinders and we begin to form this sense of who we are as a human being, as an individual, our identity. And yet that is, it's so critical, the role that our mother and our father plays in that. But if they're... Yeah, so ideally what you're saying is if those sounds, if those sensory experiences are secure, which it means I can depend on them. They happen with regularity. They're not harmful or painful in any way. Then I can begin to develop and grow to where fantasy, while it may be entertaining, is not a dependency for me. I don't need to escape into something else. But when they're insecure, when I can't depend on those experiences, when mom is not there to calm or dad brings his energy instead of to love and comfort and provide security, but brings anger in in the environment, then I'm looking for something else, something outside my experience to substitute, to imitate that experience of security, which is what we call insecure attachment. And we we operate out of that in a number of different ways, right? And the re- the research is showing that insecure attachment is growing as a percentage of the population. It used to be 50% of the people were insecurely attached and 50% of the people were securely attached, at least in the United States. That figure is probably now 65% insecurely attached in wow. the most recent research. 
what's happening is as more and more families are experiencing the fracturing of divorce and single parent homes um, and we'll cell phone culture, cell phone culture and yeah. less, you know, lots of connect, lots of friends online, but yep. not a lot of real friends right, right, in right, reality. Right. And so we're becoming more and more isolated as individuals in the culture, both in our families and just in other social connections. And this role that pornography plays in our lives is it comes into those vacancies in our heart and it gives us at least temporarily a sense of connection and a sense of comfort and a sense of care in the midst of that disconnection that we're experiencing mm. in reality. Mm. So it's mm. artificial, it's yep. virtual connection, yep. but it's better than no connection. Correct. And, and, so, it's, and, and I want to make a point there, Scott, because I think a lot of times, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, you know, my problem is I look at porn and I want to stop. Maybe rather than being uh, ashamed and sh and shutting down that behavior as bad or evil or wicked or immoral, and it's going to send you to hell or it's going to ruin your life. Maybe it needs to be given the credence that it did exactly what you just said, Scott, which is it saved me for a season. I didn't have it. I found something to substitute in my <laughs> life that would, that would work. But the reality is it's not working anymore. This fantastical way of connecting it's just not working anymore. Go back to the metaphor we started with. If you feel like you've been thrown into a dark room and you're groping around for a sense of connection and meaning in your life and there's nobody in your home to give it to you, I'm, we're not pro-porn. We're not telling you to go watch porn because it's no, a great solution because ultimately it ends up leaving you high and dry. But can you just honor the role that it plays in your life in giving you for a time a sense of connection and a sense of comfort when you're growing up in an emotional desert of a home. Yep. So let's get clear, Scott, and 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 let's let's let everybody know when we're talking about fantasy, what is it and why is it important to recognize its significance both in how I've struggled and also how I can heal. So let's look at where we started which was our fantasies around comic books and monsters yeah. and fantasy yeah. characters. What roles were those playing in our lives? They were helping us imagine a different reality than the one yes. we were experiencing growing up. Yes. A place where instead of being bullied by other boys or, you know, maybe my dad, you know, being a little rough with me in, in terms of discipline at times, I imagined a scenario where I was the powerful one and mm. I was the one in charge. You imagined places where you could escape and, you know, you were the hero of the yep. story, right? Have adventures, be with friends, and feel connected. Absolutely. So, so that's the general role of fantasy. It's a it's a way to help us kind of cope with the difficulties we're going through in lives. It's very much like our dreams in that sense. Mm. It, it mm. helps us process the, the challenges that we're going through relationally and individually and kind of make resolution come about in, a, in our um, imagination. So what is the role of fa sexual fantasy? It's no different, right? It, yeah. it just takes those yeah. relational ruptures and it eroticizes them because in a lot of our relational experiences, they create a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. When I feel like my mom and dad are rejecting me or they're neglecting mm -hmm. me in some way, or I've been abandoned or I've been treated really harshly and nobody cares for my emotions, I'm not allowed to have emotions or I'm not allowed mm -hmm. to have desires. And those things aren't honored in my life. And I start entering puberty and discover the power of orgasm 
wow. I mean, that is an amazing jolt of pleasure that yes. I can use to counteract the pain that I'm having in my reality. And so mm. combining that with stories or a narrative that helps me imagine a scenario when inst instead of my mom ignoring me, this voluptuous teenager is coming on to me and wanting to perform oral sex on me and giving me this amazing pleasure and acceptance. Yep. Wow. That helps correct both. I'm using my body and my mind to regulate my, my emotions, my yes. distress. So that's the role. So it's that, that powerful place, that, that, you know, amplification of, of, uh, of, desire of, uh, you know, wanting to connect, wanting to experience something that's, that's securely human. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, when we go from childhood fantasy to sexual fantasy, there's not a lot of shame in childhood fantasy. That's what you're supposed to do. Even, I mean, you got comic book stuff behind you right now. Nobody's saying, Scott, you're such a little kid. Why do you, you know, if I go back and pick up my copy of the Silmarillion and, and read it, nobody's like, you're such a baby. But if I, am engaging in sexual fantasy, there's all kinds of internal and externalized shameful factors around that, which really creates the, the, the compulsion, the secrecy, the habits that happen out of that. Yeah. So that's one of the purposes of our podcast is to invite men to a place where they can start to look at their sexual fantasies and their porn themes. What turns you on in porn? What do you look for? What do you type in the search engines and what do you end up watching? in a very kind and curious way, because really all it's trying to do is bring that same kind of sense of connection and soothing to you in your current life. Like you yes. are a person that hasn't learned to do life where you can self-soothe or you can pick yourself up and stimulate yourself when you're feeling depressed or really shameful. And that we call that uh, self-regulation. People mm -hmm. that have a lot of childhood adverse experiences and trauma in their lives cannot self-regulate. Mm. And, and so what they do is they auto-regulate. They masturbate mm. early, and yep. that masturbation turns into sexual fantasy or pornography yep. use. Yep. And that is how we learn to cope with distressing feelings, both in our bodies and our emotions and our thoughts. And they start so, very young. So those habits are there when I'm really before I understand what I'm doing and the power of it and the connection with it makes it compulsive, makes it shameful. Yes, I'm trying to hide it. I'm not flaunting it in, in public, but I continue to do it year after year after year because it works. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, have you had an orgasm lately? Because uh, uh, yeah, they're nice. I think they're. I think they're. I think thumbs up on the orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you know. Once you discover that magic power in your body, you're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do this again, yeah. and it just becomes a really default way of coping with unpleasant feelings and sensations. And so, look at it for what it is. Instead of feeling a lot of shame about it, look at the role that it's playing in helping you cope with an unmanageable life. That's the way to kind of find your way out of it because our premise is that your fantasies are actually trying to help you in some way. Your, mm. your porn usage and your masturbation habit, they're trying to bring soothing and a sense of connection to you in some way. So be curious about that. Like, when mm. do I get triggered to want to use that? Yeah. And view it instead of viewing it as sexual temptation. No, no doubt it's sexual temptation. But view it as a form of soothing yourself. Yes. It's kind of self-sabotaging at the same time. Because yes. 
happens. Have you ever felt after you've masturbated to porn? Have you ever felt like, man, that was the greatest sexual experience I've ever had. Let's go back and do that again. No, no. <laughs> In fact, I think the, the, the data, the research is even, you know, masturbation itself is somewhere between 40 to 60% as effective as orgasm in a, in a committed, connected human relationship. And so sense, really what I'm giving myself bringing that sense of connection and soothing. Exactly. Well, right. even, even in the endorphin release, even, I mean, I, and I'll just say this and um, you know, masturbation for me is kind of like, okay, I did that. Now it's over versus having a connection with someone else is that, is that, that, that connection really is far more powerful and far more integrating because what you're saying is absolutely true. When I get done, uh, you know, when I was acting out and masturbating to porn, I get done with that. It was kind of like, uh, let me clean up. And there, it, it was more a relief than it was a true excitement engagement connection. Yeah, there's nobody that you're bonding with. You know, no, with the no. release of vasopressin in the male brain, when a when an orgasm occurs, it's intended to bond you. So yeah. if you're masturbating, there's a big hole there. Even if yeah. you're looking, you'll bond visually with what you're looking at, but there's no touch other than your own hand on your penis. There's nothing else that you're bonding with. So it's kind of a hole. So and there's it, a sense of kind of like at the end, you're kind of like. Uh, I'm a little, you know, the, 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 the shame creeps back in very, very quickly after the fact. So, right. So, so look, but, but the invitation is instead of getting down on yourself and shaming yourself and trying to change with a lot of self-contempt, which is how we try to manage that behavior. I'm never going to do that again. A bad, a good Christian would never do that. I'm a bad Christian. You know, I've yeah. got to stop doing this to be a good Christian. That's right. not the way to get out of that situation. Yeah. Look at it for what it is. It's a form of self-soothing. It's just self-sabotaging. It's not moving you forward in life. It's not helping you grow relationally. It's not helping you grow emotionally as a man. It keeps you stunted kind of as a 12-year-old. So how, how do you want to manage your life then? Think about ways that you can bring soothing to yourself, uh, your body, and your mind that don't involve sexuality at the moment. So that's you know one, one practical thing there. But back to fantasy. Um, well, just, Scott, you know, I hate to I hate to put into the conversation, but you know this is we're we're looking off the canyon of fantasy right now because fantasy is huge. It's a topic you're going to hear over and over and over again, and so the invitation that that I want to say is: listen, as you're as you're listening to what we're talking about and things are swirling around in your head, take note because what your fantasies are really pointing to is what you're really wanting in your human experience, how you really want to connect. Now, how you can connect to those things. I mean, Scott mentioned some non-sexual connections, some experiences that may bring you pleasure and intimacy. And it may, at this point in time in your, your life may seem, I have nothing. All I've got is porn. All I've got is, is orgasm. But the reality is that's just not true. There are opportunities that you're not seeing right now that your story telling your story and engaging with the narrative that got you to this point so far will help you trace back and see what are the fantasies really trying to say to you? Because every single fantasy that we have has a message. It points to a deeper truth that me uniquely as a human being longs to connect in. And so I think we want to keep pushing forward into that place and keep bringing up fantasy. And we'll do multiple episodes on this front and talk about various aspects but we wanted to do this introduction just to kind of give you a, a jumping off point because fantasy is super, super, super powerful in this exploration of sexual arousal. 
So uh, any last thoughts as we close out, Scott? Just a, just an invitation for guys to go back to that metaphor at the beginning. I think we both really sense the power of that as we were talking about it. Where in your life do you feel like you're in that dark room yeah. groping for a sense of connection and comfort in the midst of a lot of fear and uncertainty? And how are your sexual fantasies or your porn themes helping you manage that right now? And what do you want to do differently? What are they trying to tell you? And how would you like to make some changes? So that's our invitation. Thanks for being with us, guys. As always, uh, we'll see you next time on We Got Ball. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.